0: Welcome to the Women & Youth Ministry Podcast. My name is Heather Kennison, and I am your host as well as the founder of Women in Youth Ministry. Our goal as an organization is to elevate the voices of women in a male-saturated field. While we love to partner with all genders for our podcast, we are currently in a series called Women Teach the Bible. The series is so important because if you ask who a person's favorite preachers, speakers, authors, or podcasters are. Often, you find that list dominated by men. And while we love y'all, I want to create a space for women to teach so that you can hear the Bible through a different lens. For more, you can follow us on Insta or Twitter at Women in YM, or go to our website, women in youth ministry dot com. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Women in Youth Ministry podcast. Today's guest is Elle Dowd. Elle got connected to me through a friend of ours, Lonnie, and Elle uh, and I share a little bit of background of working uh, from or working in St. Louis, so I'm really excited uh, for Elle to be on today. Elle, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and say hi to everybody. Hi. Um, yes,
1: it's, good. it's great to be here. My name is Elle. I use pronouns like she, her, and hers. I live in Chicago. I have two teenage girls who were born in Sierra Leone, and I am a faith leader, a community organizer, and an author.
0: That's awesome. Elle is a little unconventional from some of our previous guests because Elle is not working in student ministry. Um, but I asked Lonnie to be on cause I know that she's an amazing storyteller and Lonnie said, you should also check out my friend Elle. She oh. has great storytelling powers too. So, <laughs> so excited to have you on, um, today, uh, Elle, why don't you talk a little bit more about who you are? Could you share your call story, um, how you got involved in ministry?
1: Yes, I was a very well weird kid i was going to say that and then i'm like well maybe i'm still a weird adult but i was like a very strange <laughs> child so what i mean by that was um i felt the call to ministry when i was like 7 years old and then it became like pretty central to my life and like preparing to be a faith leader became pretty central to my life so i started my first bible study with my neighborhood friends in 5th grade where i was like writing the bible studies and and we would get together and do them i uh Would hurry up like my schoolwork and finish early, and then I had like this notebook I would use. I'd bring my Bible and my notebook to school, and I would spend all this time tracing stories in the Hebrew Bible. So, this is like fifth grade. I'm like looking at the different, um, you know, family tree histories in scripture and like comparing how they're different from different books of the Bible and like reading more about uh the babylonian exile so i was like this like little nerdy like bible nerd uh kid uh you know even in elementary school so since then it's just been about uh, getting to seminary so i majored in religious studies in college and that uh an internship i was on they called it a peace and justice internship is how i got connected with sierra leone and met my, my children i worked in an orphanage there for a while Uh, volunteered in an orphanage and um i got married after meeting my spouse in undergraduate and uh, at that time adam was in the military now he organizes for a group called veterans for peace which works to end militarization and imperialism but Mm -hmm. we moved all over and one of those places so i lived in sierra leone for a bit splitting my time between there and california i lived in missouri um and was working for the Episcopal Church during the uprising even though I'm actually a Lutheran and then um, managed to get to seminary 2016 to 2020 so here we are now I'm graduated and it's really exciting
0: so cool well and I I have to say that I really appreciate that you did some work during the uprising in Ferguson um I talked a little bit of, on this podcast about how I grew up in Ferguson and not being home for the uprising, uh, has really kind of taken, I think, a toll on who I am and and my story. And it's Mm -hmm. been hard for me to process everything that happened at home while being away from it. Um, so I do want to thank you for your work and, um, you also have a book coming up next year. That's a bit on the topic. You want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yes, I do have a book. It's with Broadleaf Books is the publishing company who also gave us Emmy Kegler's One Coin Found and Lenny Duncan's Dear Church. And it will be available for pre-sale in January of this year and will be released in August next year or thereabouts summer next year. 2021. Uh so if you are interested in hearing about that, you can go to my website at ldow.com and sign up for my mailing list. And I I like very rarely send out mailings, like updates, like maybe once a month or something. So that is the first place that people will hear about pre-sales and pre-orders at my website. If you go to the mailing list at ldow.com and sign up for the newsletter. So that is how you can get connected there. Otherwise on my socials, you know, I'll end up inevitably end up posting links and stuff too.
0: Of course. Yeah. And we'll have all of that in the, in the, uh, information section for this podcast. So, so awesome. Um, so we are in this series called women teach the Bible and, uh, this series just got laid on my heart a a few weeks ago as I was thinking through uh, where I wanted to take this podcast and what I really wanted, like what my goals were. And one of my goals is I really want people to hear and learn from the voices of women. Um, I know for me, growing up in a church culture that didn't have women in in leadership positions, um, I did not hear a woman preach until I was 23 years old and i'd already been a youth pastor for three years at that point just doing my thing before i ever met another woman um in leadership um and so it's really important to me i remember the first time i heard a woman preach i just wept like a baby like a baby and would continue to weep for the next few years every time i heard a woman preach Mm -hmm. because um it was that powerful for me and i'll Mm -hmm. never forget the first time um I I was asked to visit another church in our area and preach there and girls came up to me afterwards and said, I've never heard a woman preach. And so I think this next section of my, of my podcast, I would love to have some more of those moments um, where some of our youth workers are listening, male, especially, and are hearing maybe women share the Bible from a new perspective um, Mm -hmm. or even just for, for the first time. Um, So I'm really excited for your story today because this is a Bible character that I feel like I've heard nothing about, and her name is JL. Yes. So let's have you tell, actually let's first start with why did you choose this story and how did you get started thinking about it?
1: Yes. Well, I think after you hear the story a little bit more, you are going to be like, of course you chose the story because it's so cool. Um, It's actually really weird that we don't hear this story more. Uh, It is left out of the revised common lectionary, which many of us read um, on Sunday mornings in church. So if you are only reading your Bible in church, you would actually never hear this story. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's other stories like that too. But It's strange that we don't hear this story because scripture calls JL most blessed of all women and the only other person who gets that title. No one gets that title again until Mary, mother of God. So throughout all the Hebrew scriptures, our tradition considers if we're taking what scripture says seriously about her JL to be most blessed of all women and like a hero. And so we just don't hear her story. Um, and I think there's some reasons for that. And I think those reasons are primarily sexism. So I love to tell her story. Um, especially because in the context of that story, there's another woman named Deborah And they both are like doing their thing, and they're both heroes, but they're like very different people. And so I feel really liberated by the idea that God calls all kinds of women. When you were telling your story about, hearing a woman preacher or the first time you were a woman preacher and little children, maybe girls or whatever, come up to you and be like, I never saw a girl pastor or a girl t- preacher before. I definitely have had that experience. I'm also like pretty femme. And so I frequently preach like in a tutu with my clerical and I had little girls be like, Oh, a princess pastor. And I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> so, um, so I just grew up kind of hearing a lot of messages about the right way to be a woman, the right way to be faithful, the right way to be like quote-unquote godly. And what I love about this story is that that breaks it wide open open for me and the story breaks that wide open for me.
0: So there's this meme that's been floating around lately that says when I say I want a biblical wife, what people think I mean, I want a wife who is passive and subservient What I really mean, I want a wife who's totally willing to drive a tent spike into a tyrant's head should the opportunity arise. So why don't you go ahead and tell the story from your own revised standard edition of the Bible.
1: (laughs) Sure. So this story takes place in Judges 4 and 5. And Judges 4, is the sort of prose or narrative version of the story, whereas Judges 5 is the same story again, but in poetry. It's in song. It's the song of Deborah. And we'll talk a little bit about Deborah in a second, but Judges 5 is actually some of the, the oldest uh, scripture that we have. It's some of the oldest parts of the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament. And this takes place during the time of the judges so before israel had kings they had judges and the judges were a little bit different than what we think about judges today they were basically like the leader of the tribes of israel and uh they would stand or sit or be over by the gate uh and they would make decisions sort of like for the people and between the people and they were also like leaders for the people um And Deborah is the only one of the judges that was a woman, but it doesn't actually seem like that big a deal in the story. And so it's just like, yeah, Deborah was a woman. Sure. (laughs) Um, But Deborah was also a prophet. And so similar to other women who are named as prophets in the Bible, like Miriam, like Mary, mother of God, uh, she issues proclamation or shares the good news through song. And so that's when we get the, the poetry or, or the song in the next chapter in chapter five of Judges. But um, during this time of the Judges, the Israelites had been oppressed for 20 years by a foreign king, King Jabin. And Deborah was like, "All right." it's like time to go. We have to like fight against this, you know, for the sake of the people of Israel and for our liberation um, against this tyrant King who's oppressing us. And so she sort of acts as the commander in chief or head of the military. And she calls over the general Barack and she's like, Hey, (laughs) let's go up against this Canaanite army. And this was like a wild thing to say at the time because the Canaanite army was like very technologically advanced. They had like a bajillion chariots. This was like the military superpower. And they had been oppressing the Israelites. So, like, you know, it's not like very good odds. And so when Barak hears Deborah I'd be like, Yeah, we're gonna go um fight the Canaanite army, he's like, um actually though, I'm only gonna do this. If you do it with us, so you have to come with, which honestly is not a bad policy for military leaders because what Barack was saying, or one way that it's been interpreted is that he was like, you are asking me to go on a very dangerous fool's errand of a task here. And I'm only willing to do that and, and to trust you if you are willing to put yourself at the same risk that you're asking me to take. And Deborah said, yeah, okay, I'll come with you. Um, And that will be fine. But let me just tell you that God is going to hand over the Canaanite army into the hands of a woman. And that's going to be pretty embarrassing for you because you're not going to get this glory. Hmm. So Deborah's like a really brilliant military mind and she has the, has the soldiers lead the Canaanite army into this valley, this wadi. A wadi is like a dry riverbed that only floods when it rains a lot. And she brings them out there. The Canaanite army leads them out there and lo and behold, it rains and there's a flash flood. And so all their fancy chariots get stuck in the mud and can't get anywhere. And as they're like struggling and panicking, the Israelite army picks them off one by one. And this is really reminiscent actually of the story in Exodus where uh, Pharaoh's army is trying to cross the Red Sea after the Israelites and their chariots get stuck in the mud and then Hmm. they are washed away by the Red Sea. So similarly, these these chariots are like all mucked up in in this mud and the Israelite army just picks them off, except the general of the army, Sisera, the general of the Canaanite army is named Sisera. And he sees how this is going and he's like, time to dip. So he starts running away. And where he runs is to the tent of Jael, who is uh, a member or married to a person who is from a different tribe altogether. And Jael's husband had made... A alliance with King Jabin and the Canaanite army so Sisera as he's running away and he sees Jael's tent he's thinking to himself this person is at the very least neutral or hopefully like this person is an ally right like this person made an alliance with my king so like we should be good so sister comes into the tent and normally in stories when you, or in life, uh, when I hear about like a military person, like a soldier coming into a tent of, or like a house of a woman alone, like I would be afraid for the woman. And the Canaanite army is known actually for things like sexual violence. And so this scene actually is like pretty tense. Like Sister comes into, um, meets JL at, the, at her tent, and like you kind of are like, oh no, what's going to happen to JL? And so they go inside, and he is like, uh, I need your help. You got to help me. And he asks for for some water, and she gives him milk, and then she like tucks him in with a little blankie and he's like, let me know if anyone's coming and she's like, you know, basically like, sure, whatever. Um, but as he falls asleep, so she kind of like is this motherly figure, right? Because she's like giving him milk. She's like tucking him
0: in. She's giving and him the th- Proverbs 31.
1: Yes. She's totally, <laughs> she's totally giving him the Proverbs 31. And, and, um, at that time and in sort of like this, this literature, the tent was known as like the domain of women and things of the tent were like womanly things. So Mm -hmm. you can kind of picture JL actually as like, like a fifties housewife or like a stay at home (laughs) mom. Right. She is like, her realm, she's not like Deborah. She's not like this woman in this stereotypically male role who's like a badass and like leading an army into battle. Like that's Deborah. that's not JL. JL is more like, you know, she's got her apron and her little June Cleaver outfit on and her pearls. And she is just like this like homemaker or, or housewife, right? Um, and when Sisera falls asleep, after having this milk and being tucked in with the blankie, and there's also some kind of like flirty overtones here too, right? Coming into the tent. But after sister falls asleep, JL takes a tent peg and nails his head to the floor. She drives that tent peg through his temple so far that he is pinned to the ground and he dies. And so Deborah's prophecy came true that the Canaanite army was handed over into the hands of a woman. Uh, But it wasn't Deborah, although she had a huge part in it. It was JL. It was this housewife. And I think like the raddest part of this for me is thinking of the tent and the tent peg, again, as like, this is supposed to be like the womanly realm. And so she, we can kind of like in our, if we're adapting to our own context, we could think of her like, like a housewife, beating to death a tyrant with her high heel shoe or with like, (laughs) or with like a frying pan, right? Symbols of like the home and femininity and domesticity. And so like, again, JL wasn't this like tough warrior woman in the traditional sense, um, or the way that we might think of it with Deborah, but she was a warrior and her feminist and her femininity and her housewifeness didn't make her less of a warrior actually made her more of a warrior. It was like her way of being a warrior. And so that's why I love this story is because there are these two different women and they're both like amazing in their own way. They're both leaders, but they do it in different ways. Like Deborah is this, this, uh, leader in a, in a masculine role and JL actually kind of like uses the fact that her enemy underestimates her Hmm. to her own advantage something else cool about JL is even though her husband I guess made this alliance she apparently didn't care about that like she didn't go ask permission she didn't uh seek her husband's approval she sought out her own counsel and was like I can make this decision and she made it Hmm. and when I first like read this story or the some of the first times I heard it I was like oh yikes JL she like murders someone it's is that is she really a hero is she really most blessed of all women and i felt kind of uncomfortable cuz this is like a pretty gruesome story but okay. then i thought but then i thought about it and i don't know about you but i grew up really hearing a lot about david and goliath which is a really <laughs> similar story yeah like david was like the little guy unexpected warrior there was this like really strong army this really famous warrior and he used an unconventional weapon for him, a slingshot, to kill this warrior. And then he straight cuts off Goliath's head. So that's like a similarly gruesome story, right? But we don't ever sit here and say, oh, gee, but like David was a murderer. I mean, <laughs> he actually, he ends up being super sketched later on. But like in this story, we're like, he's a hero, right? We don't yeah. sit here and be like, oh, geez, he, he killed a bad guy. I'm like, I don't feel good about that. We're just like. I went to, like, VBS where we, like, played games with slingshots, right, this, like, weapon of murder (laughs) to, like, honor David and, like, learn about his story because, like, wow, this is such a great story of this little guy killing Mm -hmm. this, like, warrior, and yet when we hear something really similar from JL, an unexpected warrior, kind of, like, on the underside of a power dynamic using an unconventional weapon, like a stiletto or frying pan or tent peg, um, to slay a tyrant, we're like, Oh geez, I don't know. Is she really, she really a hero? Even though the Bible explicitly says, uh, most blessed of all women. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the reason for that is that JL not only kills someone because clearly we have no problem with that, with celebrating other heroes in the Bible that, that vanquish enemies of Israel. The problem we have with JL is that she transgresses our gender boxes and our gender roles. And so what does that say that like even more offensive to us than murder is women stepping out of their place and not being, you know, the nice housewife? Uh, That's something else I freaking love about JL is the sort of custom at the time and, and still today in a lot of Middle Eastern cultures, but the custom at the time was that hospitality was the highest virtue. If someone came to you for help, like it was a pretty strict rule, you help them. And that that's pretty mm-hmm. consistent even, you know, in Israel and throughout the law that like, if someone comes to you, um, you help them. So J.L. was not nice <laughs> in this story. Like even outside of the murder part or the, you know, murder is maybe not the right word because uh, she's like a war hero in this story, but even outside of like the killing part, um, She wasn't nice because there's these rules for society about how you act and how you're supposed to be. There's this, these agreements that I guess we've all bought into or this, this story or this narrative about how things should be. And JL doesn't follow those. She's not nice Hmm. or polite. She actually completely breaks those norms, both in gender and in sort of like rules for civility. And in doing that, God glorifies her.
0: It's amazing. I feel like um, I have to say, so I, I love true crime. Um, my hobbies, they are makeup, true crime in the Bible. Um, and I'm like picturing someone doing like a Bible, true crime podcast where they talk about David and they're like, From a young boy, he was killing people with slingshots. (laughs) Right, like total serial killer vibes. It's like, no wonder he raped a woman (laughs) while leading a country.
1: Yeah, I totally should have seen it coming. That's so funny.
0: Yeah, but I think what I love about the story of JL is I'm also a very, very feminine woman. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes I wonder if people think I'm frail because of Mm. my femininity. I'm not frail. I'm Mm. the opposite of frail. You ask people to describe me in three words, and the first one's strong. Mm. Um, But the femininity sometimes fools people. And what's great about JL is she uses her femininity. She uses it to her advantage. And I really, really appreciate that. Because you don't have to be in a certain package to be a leader. Deborah. the story of Deborah is amazing, right? Mm -hmm. And she's Mm -hmm. in this masculine role, but you don't have to be in a masculine role to be a leader and to kick butt.
1: Totally. Yes. I agree completely. I've had those same similar sort of experiences. There's this thing that people um, do to me that I'm like, I really wish people would stop doing this, but it'll be like, after they get to know me or see me leading or whatever for a bit, they'll come kind of like confess to me and be like, um, oh, you know, when I first met you, I thought you were really shallow or stupid or, or whatever. And I think that has to do a lot with my gender presentation. I'm bisexual, but I'm definitely like a high femme. When it's not a global pandemic, I never had uh, nails that were like not acrylics that are like super long and pointy like i love like long pointy stiletto sparkly acrylics like i always wear lashes like i pretty much always wear dresses and heels and stuff like that so like people have this idea um and and really what it is is internalized or is misogyny right
0: mm-hmm.
1: um when it comes from women it's internalized misogyny but but uh it's misogyny in general it's this idea that women and the things of women are weak or frivolous or silly. Um, and this story really pushes back against that. Like this femininity of JL doesn't take away from her being a warrior. It's part of her warrior-ness.
0: Mm. Last week I was in a youth ministry Facebook group and I got super, super annoyed because there is a topic that came up that comes up every so often, where a youth pastor, always a male youth pastor, says, um, help, my youth group is all female. How do I get guys to come? Mm-hmm. And well, I appreciate balance in all things, <laughs> there is something about that that really bothered me. Mm-hmm. And The comments are what particularly bothered me. Now most of the, the reason, the biggest reason the comments bothered me was because a lot of people, mostly guys were joking about using the girls to get to the guys, post pictures of the girls on Instagram. So the guys will see them and want to come, which is like, so objectifying, especially since the same guys want to regulate what swimsuit, the women should wear, you know, like,
1: as a reminder, these are literally children, right? Like these
0: are minors. So like gross. Right. Right. So yeah, I, at one point I got a little spicy and I was like, so do you want the female bot or not? Cause like one day (laughs) you're like, let's use them to get to the guys. And then you're like, Ooh, cover it up. Like, do you Mm -hmm. want it or not? Like I'm confused. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, Yeah. But there's just reading through some of these comments, I got so mad. And I was like, the issue is, is that we idolize masculinity and we Mm -hmm. see femininity as a weakness. Yes. Why do we do that? Why do we Mm -hmm. idolize things that are masculine leaders? And it's, and it's not just men, it's things that are masculine. Right. We want leaders who lead like men Mm -hmm. But then we also get really offended when a woman leads like that. But, but for a woman to lead with her femininity is confusing Mm -hmm. and we don't like that.
1: It's like a total, we call that a double bind where it's like, Mm -hmm. no matter what women do, it's the wrong answer, which means like, "Mm, maybe your problem isn't what women are doing. Maybe you have a problem with women, right? If women lead from their, if we lead from our femininity, then yeah, we're vapid or shallow or frivolous or silly. If we try to be in a masculine role or if we have like characteristics that are more masculine, like many of us do, um, then it's like we're transgressing gender norms in another way and we get called all other kinds of horrible words, probably the ones that you can think in your mind right now what they would be. So it's like, oh, she's too aggressive, she's so whatever. So yeah, we're in, women are in this, this double bind where no matter what we do, it's wrong. But God is saying, actually, there's a lot of right ways to be a woman and to be a leader and to be a warrior and to be faithful. And that God uses all kinds of people, maybe particularly the ones that other people underestimate. So yeah, I, I know um, when, when you tell the story about the the male youth leader with a ton of, uh, girls and young women, uh, as their members, I just think about how actually throughout history, women have made up the majority of the, you know, butts in the pews, if you want to say that, or, you know, women have made up the majority of church attendance while men still dominate church leadership. And that's still true. So even though, women and men in more progressive traditions. Um, And then there's also of course, non-binary people, right too. But um, women and go to seminary like in equal amounts and still men make up the vast majority, even in mainline denominations of leaders. And when women do become pastors or deacons or other kinds of leaders, we are sort of like allowed to be, you know, technically, but we have to act a certain way. We should be not too masculine, but you know, not too feminine and we should be good looking ish, but not sexy, not too Mm -hmm. stylish, but not frumpy. You know, like there's like all these rules of how women can be and even what roles women can fill. So even though a lot of women, there are like, you know, women who are pastors now, even in mainline traditions, even in progressive spaces, these women who are pastors don't get as many senior pastor positions. Mm -hmm. They are relegated to like, the youth and family pastor, which is an amazing calling. But I promise that men are also called to that calling, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So sometimes when we see these trends, we have to ask like, is this really about God's plan? Or is this some like internalized stuff that actually might be getting in the way of that? Because I don't think that the Holy Spirit only calls women to underpaid part-time pastor positions, right? I think God, uh, calls women in equal measure to senior pastor positions to, you know, position of bishop or, or other positions, um, you know, more lucrative positions in well-paying positions too. It's not just men who, uh, are called to that, but to our point earlier, part of feminism, which there's like many different sort of like brands of feminism or, or, um, philosophies of feminism. But one thing we care about in feminism is not only making sure that women have access to traditionally masculine roles, like Deborah being the leader of an army, but also making sure that we're not denigrating traditionally feminine roles just because they're feminine. So not denigrating the JLs. So for example, like in our modern context, that would be like, we want to make sure that women are just as able to be doctors as men Mm -hmm. and we want to make sure that nurses, something that is stereotypically uh, feminine, are not sort of like denigrated or less paid because it's a feminine role, right? Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that women who don't want to have children are able to do that and we wanna make sure that mothers are treated with respect and not like the hallmark respect of being put like on a pedestal or something, but the respect that means that like we get what we need, like affordable childcare, like education for our children, like food on our tables, right? So there's there's like a lot going on here. There's like many different ways to be a, women, a woman and also challenging this idea of like what kind of role is most, most valuable, right? Because in this story, it's not the commander in chief that slays the tyrant. It's the housewife. Hmm.
0: It's pretty cool. So cool.
1: It's like my fave story.
0: It definitely, I think is exactly what I needed to hear today. And so I do thank you for sharing it. Um, Yeah. It it makes me really want to celebrate my femininity. Um, and I think that's a huge one. So we are the Women in Youth Ministry podcast. And as we wrap up, I would love it if you could share maybe some advice or word of encouragement to the women who are listening.
1: Yes, first of all, hey. Um, I am so glad that you are here and listening to this podcast. What I want to say to you is that Your way of being, your identity is not an accident. It's on purpose. God created you to be who you are on purpose. And when you live into that most fully, it's glorifying to God, no matter what other people say. So you do you, keep trucking on, I'm cheering you on, many of us are, and we're really glad you're here.
0: And then hopefully we have some of our brothers listening as well. What point of advice or encouragement would you have to our brothers who are listening?
1: Yeah, I would say to our brothers who are listening, also, hey, glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Um, But I would think about how for you also there's many ways to be a leader. And sometimes being a leader actually means stepping aside and letting there be a bit of a leadership vacuum for a moment. And encouraging the women or non binary people in your life to step into that role of leader. Um, It's not like abdicating leadership to say, hmm, me and people like me have really had the mic for a while here. Let's make some space for other voices. And then, really, to encourage women and non binary people to step into those roles because we've internalized a lot of this stuff. We've also internalized the idea of this is what a leader looks like. This is what a pastor looks like. This is what a person of God looks like. And so sometimes we need you uh, to make room for that and to um, encourage us. And then my other sort of like point of advice I would have for our brothers who are listening is maybe like a little bit of a challenge, which is if there is a woman in your life who. Bothers you and you can't quite figure out why, right? She just quote unquote like rubs you the wrong way. My challenge to you would to be interrogate that the parts of that that might be informed by sexism, mm. that might be informed by oh, I thought women, were, I thought how, you know women were supposed to be uh, accommodating or nice, and this woman speaks really directly and I don't like it. You know, maybe think about why that might be. And that just, if you have, if, you know, if you have this in you, like, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. We, we actually all do. Even women have internalized uh, sexism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would really, really challenge you to interrogate that sort of like gut feeling of just like not quite liking a woman. And maybe think about if there's some part of you who thinks, hmm, she's not doing it right, or she's not in her place.
0: That's amazing. I think that is the best advice (laughs) that has been given to a guy. Y'all, if we annoy you, you got to investigate it. You got to figure it out. Um, and, and I think it's not, it's not just for men, it's women too. I think Mm -hmm. that is something that I've learned is that sometimes even women, uh, irritate this part of my brain. And then I have to investigate why is that? Is that a, a a bias or something that I have been trained to think because I did not grow up in a uh, progressive or even moderate context. to grew up in a very conservative context. So I was trained to view women a very specific way. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that I was not that specific way, <laughs> um, it caused me to, to ask some questions and to stretch myself and also be less annoyed with myself and give myself more grace too. To be yeah. who I am and, and not worry about being the cookie cutter
1: yeah, there's actually like a, a moment at the end of Judges five in the story that I didn't tell that actually points to the way that sometimes women reinforce sex, sexism, or patriarchy, or misogyny. And there's this there's this uh, image at the end of Judges five where Sisera, the uh, commander of the Canaanite army, his mom is like at the window waiting for him to come home, and of course we know he's not coming home. His head is nailed to the floor in Jael's tent. But uh, Sisera's mother has this really cold conversation with her, like, friends and the other women who are around where she's like, oh, gee, I wonder where Sisera is. I'm sure he's just, like, had such a great day of military battle that he's just collecting up women and he's probably just, like, you know, assaulting them. And I bet he'll, like, plunder everywhere and bring you home, like, a really nice scarf or something, right? She's just sort of yeah. coldly discussing other women. Um as if like, we don't matter, we're objects or something. Right. And so that always reminds me that there are women who do reinforce, uh, misogyny, right. There are women who will say to female victims of sexual assault, like, what were you wearing? Or seems like you were asking it. There are women who will say you're wearing too much makeup. There are women who will say, oh, you know, it's not what you say. It's how you say it. You should really tone it down. Mm. So yes, for those of us who are women, we should also interrogate our own biases about the things that we've internalized about ourselves and other women. And then also learn to apply that skill to things like class and race and sexual orientation and other internalized biases that we might have.
0: It's a good word. Elle, thank you so much for being on. And I feel like we could spend like several weeks talking about JL.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, for real.
0: (laughs) But I appreciate you coming on and telling us a story. And I know I learned a lot today. And I know that there are people who have heard about JL for the first time today. Um, And and if not, then hopefully from a new perspective. So thanks guys for listening and see you next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate us five stars and follow us on Insta or Twitter at Women in YM. If you're a woman listening, we'd love to have you in our Facebook community. Visit women in youth Ministry.com to learn more.